Welcome, Jamsters, to the Suns John and Matthew Session Podcast, aka the Suns Jam Session Podcast. I'm your host, John, and I'm joined by Matthew. How you doing, sir? I'm doing great. How you doing tonight? Doing fantastic. We actually just finished watching ESPN's The Last Dance, episodes three and four, and that's what we're going to be talking about on this podcast. We're going to be doing The Last Dance discussion. It's something that we're going to do every Sunday night. We'll put it out on Tuesday for you to listen to, but it's something that with it being the only thing that's going on in professional basketball right now and knowing that there will be some Suns implications especially once they start to get into the 1993 NBA finals I thought it'd be fun for us to get together and kind of talk about what we watched this evening sound good sounds good to me yeah super excited so if you're new to the podcast thanks for stopping by Make sure you follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Suns Jam. You can email the show, session at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Darth Voida. You can follow Matthew on Twitter at Matthew Lucy. And make sure that you press subscribe below and listen to all your podcasts on Bright Side of the Sun Network. It's a great place to get all the quality Suns content that you desire. Before we get into this, you know, it's what? Eight o'clock Arizona time on a yep. Sunday night. I'm hot all day, hot <laughs> all night. Uh, yeah, broke a record today. 102, I think it was. Yeah. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. yeah, officially broke the record for April 26th. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's been indoors, so I don't know about the whole global warming or whatever. But just joking. <laughs> yeah, the, the the emissions aren't really uh, eating away the ozone later. Still yeah. hot as hell. But I'm gonna. <laughs> Before we talk about the last dance, I'm going to open up a teeth-cracking cold brew, so let me pop this open. Another one? Yeah, buddy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah buddy. Dude. And I just got one question for you, brother. What time is it? Hoorah! Game time! <laughs> Sorry, dude. I totally forgot. It's okay. On, on three, we'll say game time. Hoorah. Ready? One, two, three. Game, game time! time. Hoorah! Hoorah. <laughs> Let's try that one more time. Game time! Hoorah! Hoorah. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if I even fucking got you. Right, you we should just keep this in the <laughs> <laughs> we are horrible we clearly wouldn't be Chicago Bulls let me sit yeah. down this beer let's talk about the last dance what time is it damn time Woo! So the last dance that premiered on April 26 on ESPN was, again, two parts. There was episode three and episode four. Episode three was more of the Rodman episode and gave kind of a prequel of Rodman as he played for the Pistons going up against the Bulls in the late 80s. And then episode four kind of did more of an introduction to Phil Jackson and how they eventually conquered the Pistons and went on to win the finals in the uh, in 1991 against Magic Johnson and the Los Angeles Lakers. So we'll get into the specifics on the aspects of the episodes. Uh, but my first question for you, Matthew, is just what's your initial reaction to episodes three and four? Um, I'm very smooth and easy on this one, man, meaning just I'm accepting it for what it is. It's a great historical look at the Bulls in the 90s. Uh, I'm still waiting for that good behind-the-scenes footage that I was promised um, so it's been four episodes. You're just getting the recap of the Bulls, uh, really getting to know the players. And now the coach, Phil Jackson, which is cool. Mm -hmm. I love that. Uh, it's not going into too much stuff, you know, where uh, it's stuff we, sh we already know. Um, so they're keeping it kind of simple. 
but I am kind of mediocre right now. I'm excited. I like to watch it. I'm excited for next week's episodes because there should be more behind the scenes footage. Yep, yep. I think that in 20 years, if somebody's watching this documentary, they're going to learn so much because they're going through episodes one, two, three, and four as they really set up, you know, and I assume episode five and six are really going to go into the Blazers, the Suns, the Sonics, and the jazz series that led to that 97 98 season they're all they're just trying to kind of put a bow on those seasons so for historical context you have a complete understanding of who exactly this team was but again it's a lot of information that we already knew I mean in fact the episode three dealt primarily with Rodman and they recently had a 30 for 30 on Rodman did you watch that no actually i was it um, – how recent was it? Because I saw something. I've seen so many things about Rodman, so I'm pretty sure I've seen it. This was the last six months. Oh, okay. Then, sure. What was it about? <laughs> well, I mean, from start to finish, it was all about Dennis Rodman, and it was really, really well done on ESPN, and it really delved into his upbringing and how – Yes, know, I it, didn't see that. I'm and sorry. It, it, it didn't touch on it very much in this episode, how his mom kind of kicked him out when he was 18, and he actually moved in with some white people and really started – developing his work ethic while living there and then you know there was kind of a little bit of a backlash as he grew famous how he had an affinity for white people and what have you and you know kind of dealt with a lot of the race card there but it was really interesting to again just see more college highlights of him playing at southeast oklahoma state i mean do you even know what their mascot is no i do not man they're the savage storm the savage storm the savage (laughs) storm you know so uh that was kind of funny to see a little bit of that and i think that it yeah. was chuck daly is the one who said uh you don't put a saddle on a mustang and that's who dennis rodman was i mean i grew Perfect, up watching yeah. those teams beat the bulls as a little kid it's my first memories of basketball i was the 19 i want to say it was the 88 playoffs when the bulls lost to uh the celtics i remember watching that and that was kind of my first introduction i'd watched some of the the season with my dad but the Pistons series in like 89 and 90, those are things that I remember very, very vividly. So yeah. seeing some of this, again, it's things that I know I experienced them, but seeing it again, going back and seeing some of the highlights, seeing young Jordan is just so exciting. And seeing those teams come together is very, is very exciting. Uh, question for you, do you like the old Bulls jerseys that had the white name on the back or the later version that had the black font with the white outline? I'm actually, I was digging the black. Um, I've always liked those, but I didn't notice the difference until the black came on. I'm like, oh, okay, those are the ones I'm used to. Yeah. Uh, but I've always liked the ones with the black font. So I like yes, that yeah. I like, I, like the, I like the old ones. With just, you like, like the old ones the best? Yeah, just Jordan and white on the back. You know, yeah. their last, the last name in white. That's what I always enjoyed. So what was your take on kind of the whole Rodman uh, episode? Because that's primarily yeah. what it was, and then it went a little into the Detroit series. But tell me about that. So, yeah, I did watch the 30 for 30. If you ask me anything, I usually don't remember till five minutes later. So, that's how good I am at things. That's good Um, to know. (laughs) So, I did see that. So, I'm glad they kind of kept this short with him, um, Mm -hmm. just growing up and stuff. You know, just get straight to the partying. Um, We see stuff (laughs) later on that leads to him taking a break or whatever. We'll talk about that later. But just a quick introduction about who he is, how quiet he is. And you get to see basically with Rodman, how he respects people by letting him let him be who he wants to be. And he looks up to people that treat him that way. And he wants to kind of make them happy in a way just to 
play his role on the team, do what he's asked of, and to help a team win because he knows he's going to satisfy the person he looks up to the most. That's the way I looked at it uh, from this side of Robin that I finally saw kind of. You kind of see it in the 30 for 30, uh, but you kind of see it later on too with what he, what he does with the Bulls uh, winning those championships. But um, the first thing I really thought about this episode before the whole Rodman thing was did you see them pull up to the Indiana Pacers game and they had their full outfit on Mm-hmm. And then they took it off and they had like their warm-ups on underneath their practice stuff. And then they yeah. practiced and then Jordan put his stuff back on and did an interview. So I'm like, was that the way it was back then? Cause it's like, was the <laughs> locker rooms not ready? Cause he still had his handbag and stuff too. I don't know. I just thought that was funny, man. I didn't notice that. Oh, you didn't know. Yeah. It no. was crazy. I had to write that down. I'm like, that didn't make any sense. So <laughs> the timeline here is off. <laughs> yeah. They must've been cleaning like the, the locker rooms, but uh, yeah. Anyways, back to Robin, man. Uh, you can kind of see how Phil Jackson really fit in to be the best coach for um, the Bulls. And I think it really started with Rodman because he was such a big piece of the team. But this is a coach he needed to play for, don't you think? Oh, without a doubt. I think, you know, Chuck Daly is somebody who, as you mentioned, the way that Rodman operated was he would reward your loyalty to him with his respect and uh, domination on the court. That's how he, you know, if, Hey, if you've got my back, I've got your back yeah. when it counts too. I'm going to make you look good. And that's somebody that he thoroughly respected was Chuck Daly. And once Chuck Daly left the Detroit Pistons, he started acting out. He goes to San Antonio. He's really off the wall in that in San Antonio. Yeah. And then bringing him into Chicago where you have the Zen master, you have Phil Jackson who has such a different philosophical look on life and coaching having Rodman was good for him and Rodman having Phil was obviously fantastic for him because, you know, it's like he said, he's like, you know, he's going to let me, you know, do what I do. You know, he's, he's, he's going on through his whole struggle of being flamboyant and coming out of his shell and just kind of being who he wants to be. And, you know, he even says, I'd play the game for free. You get paid for all this bullshit. You know, yeah. and that, and so, you know, all part of the circus that was on around him, but Phil's the guy who can center him and trust him to do so. You yeah. know, he's not, he doesn't come back from Vegas and like lights him up. He comes back and is like, okay, I guess I, you know, we, they did the Indian sprints, which is funny because that's something we used to actually do in the army all the time. So once they started saying, I'm like, I know that drill. <laughs> They're like trying to catch up to Rodman. It's like, yeah, that guy, yeah. he parties hard, but he'll play harder, you know? So yeah. having Phil, I think was huge for him. Yeah, the first time Phil met Rodman, too, he even talked about, like, Rodman didn't care. And, like, even when they said, like, hey, you're going to play for the Bulls or do you want to play for the Bulls? He's like, I don't care, whatever team. So he didn't care who he wanted to play for. But it was, like, as soon as uh, Phil had that first meeting with Rodman where he's like, stand up, take your hat off, and shake my hand. (laughs) It was kind of like, you know what? Like, yeah, kind of that. But then it it turned into, like, more of a best friend thing. You would think Mm -hmm. it would kind of backfire, but it didn't. So that was interesting to see, too. It must have been Phil Jackson's really pointy shoulders. Yeah, very <laughs> pointy, man. Pointy shoulders. No man. matter how much he slouches, his yeah. shoulders rise above everything. Well, and you see like the old highlights of him playing at like, was it North Dakota, South Dakota? Yeah. And he's still, it's just like, I mean, it's like a kid drawing a man at, as a block. And just like, yeah. okay, there's the shoulders. I was like, hey, man, <laughs> yeah. his whole life he's been like that. Yeah, that's, that's exactly the way, man. Um. But what was interesting, too, is, like, what I thought about with Rodman. I'm like, would he mesh? Would he mesh with the guy? I know Doug Collins 
was way before Broadman, like years before. But well, that's just a coach Doug, like Doug that. Collins was losing to him. I don't think yeah. he I don't think he would have meshed with him because no. as they were showing, Collins was all about Jordan. Get Jordan the ball, set yep. screens for Jordan, free him up. He's the talent. He's the guy you want to go with. And I was trying to think, who does that remind me of from a Suns standpoint, oh. coaching-wise? Yeah. And I was thinking Earl Watson. You know, when, when Earl Watson was coaching the Suns, Devin Booker was, I believe, in his second or third year. And it was kind of at that point that we realized Devin Booker is this offense. And, yes. ra- and rather than trying to, to create more of a team atmosphere, it was more of Booker ball. Get him yes. the ball. He always has the ball. And the, the team wasn't successful because of it. Now, obviously, Devin Booker in his second or third year versus Michael Jordan in his fifth and sixth year with Doug Collins is a completely different animal. But still, that's who it kind of reminded me of. A guy who's, who's centric on one player and trying to do everything he can to promote that player's success versus the overall team success, which, as you were saying, would not have benefited Rodman at all, I think. No, I don't think so. And... It's funny because I thought of the same thing. And you learn a lot from this team, the Bulls team, where they go through obstacles like our teams do. And mm-hmm. it shows you how they get over them. It's like even when they lose to the Pistons again for the second year in a row, game seven because of the migraine game, they have to come back and be even better. Like that is so hard to come back from. And you can just compare your team to this team. And I can just compare Booker to, I'm not saying he's Jordan, but just how Jordan was the player that can only score, get all the points. Uh, maybe, I mean, he was an MVP even before, uh, I think he was MVP, what, 86 season or 87 season? I forget, uh, but he was with Doug was Collins, eight, right? It was 88 because 87, 88. When, it was when he, uh, it was, yeah, it was the 88, 89 season, I believe, because 86, 87 is when he broke his foot. Maybe it was 88. Okay. 86 or 87, 88. Yeah, it was probably – well, what did Doug Collins say? He said the second year he knew Phil Jackson was coming up behind him. He just knew. Yeah, yeah. Uh, He had the relationship um, with – what's his name? The guy that created the triangle offense, which I had no idea. Yeah. It was – I want to say – I want to say Tex Graham, but it's yeah, not no, Tex Graham. It, no, that that actually might be right. <laughs> no, I have his name down. Actually, I wrote it down. I just got to find it, but um, we can talk about it later. But yeah, he, he wasn't the inventor, but you can just tell like he he knew. He even said he's like, oh, I'm not gonna have this job, and he knew it was happening. And it seemed like um, Phil Jackson. You saw it with Michael Jordan just saying he wasn't a big fan of him. He didn't believe in anything Phil Jackson believed in, but he pushed him to believe in the system, which is something like what James Jones is trying to do. Mm-hmm. And also um, our new coach, uh, I already forget his name because it's been forever. <laughs> Holy crap. Monty, Monty Williams. Monty Williams, yeah. Oh trying to push this. This, this, damn, to, <laughs> this damn coronavirus. <laughs> trying it's, to, yeah. It's, well, it's, I'm, I was just saying, he was just trying to push, like he's trying to push the Suns now to play as a team. So that's the comparison I have between that. And it's Tex Winter. He's the one Tex who Winter. invented the triangle offense, which Phil Jackson, who, again, is a philosophical guy, uh, kind of yeah. takes in and, and adopts and then ultimately starts winning with. And it works great in the 90s. What I thought was interesting about going back and seeing a lot of this, again, for me, it's like I was so tuned into this shit when it was going on that it's just like it's a walk down memory lane and seeing things that I've probably seen a million times, but I'll watch a million more because they just yeah. meant so much to me. But obviously watching this show, you get to see some of the behind-the-scenes footage, and, the, and obvi- the interviews are just dynamite. And one thing that I love is the fact that this is playing on ESPN on Sunday night at 6 p.m. Arizona time. It's uncensored. Yeah. You know, I mean, they're dropping motherfucker and shit and all, you know, I mean, they're being real. There's no, 
the 30 for 30s typically don't have that. They don't have that realism from a verbiage standpoint. And that's how those guys really talk. And unfortunately, we probably say those words a few more times than we should even on a podcast. Oh, man. <laughs> We're like just dipping our toes in the water with the way these guys act. Because oh, honestly, they had the censored version on ESPN too. But I think it's a test to see, you know, who's watching which. Which yeah. perfectly, perfectly said would be, you know, it would be so interruptive to watch this with a bunch of bleeps. It just makes it oh, worse. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It doesn't flow well. It'd be like watching Jerry Springer, you know? Yep. So... Well, do you think that this will change cable TV? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, I think so. It's already – it's getting raunchier and raunchier as yeah. we go, right? <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, they're so. pushing the limits with this show. I actually really enjoy it. I think that it's something yeah. that South Park kind of did almost 15 years ago where they're the first ones to say shit, and they yeah. turned a whole episode into shit. And I think yeah. – you know, and now this show is just pushing the boundaries a little bit more, and I, I, just, I don't know. I absolutely love it because, again, it's real. Exactly. But uh, for me, I don't like it too much just because like, I feel like you can overdo it. I don't want people to get so sick of it. I still want it to be like, Oh, it's like uncensored. Ooh, nice. I still like that feeling. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I do. Like watching HBO. You're like, yes, yeah. drop the F bomb. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one thing that I thoroughly enjoyed again, I was talking about the highlights and going back and seeing some of these, some of these I forgot about. And do you see the Jordan double poke on Tom Chambers when he played for the Sonics? Yes. What yeah, a great play that, that was. Man. Pokes what it out of him, play, huh? grabs it, pokes it again. Ah, oh, so much fun. Uh, and then Tommy. <laughs> and then they go into the 1989 uh, first round against the Cleveland Cavaliers. Yes. And that's the famous shot over Craig Elo that we've seen time and time again. I'll never forget this game. Uh, watching this, I know exactly where I was sitting. I was sitting in my parents' room on the end of my dad's bed watching it on the game on the the tv in his room and when he hit that shot i mean the one thing that pissed me off about this documentary is they didn't show the broadcast they always show the same angle of it behind it's actually a really good looking shot too when you see it from the broadcast because you can see how far out jordan is above the free throw line when he makes the shot double yeah. clutch and air sinks it and you know and then go home motherfuckers go home i mean it's just like yeah. oh that got me pumped up no, that was awesome. The best part of this, though, is the other side of the ball where it was supposed to be Ron Harper. Yes. Guarding yes. Jordan. Up to, this is going to be the best gif for the rest of the year, or gif, whatever. But it's going to be Ron Harper where he's just like, F his bull bleep on the last <laughs> play because he wanted to cover Jordan, but it was the other guy who no one knows. I got MJ. So the coach goes me. I'm going to put Elo on MJ, and I'm like, yeah, okay. Whatever. Fuck this bullshit. <laughs> so, yeah, Craig Elo. <laughs> yeah, you think that changed history, though? I don't know. I think Jordan still pulls up the same way and still makes that shot. I don't know. I mean, Ron Harper was a better defender and was an eventual yeah. member of the Chicago Bulls for that second championship run and wasn't really known for scoring prowess. It was more to bring him in just to be kind of a defensive lockdown uh -huh. when Jordan was out of the game. So it might have, but, I mean, who cares? It happened. It happened. It yeah, you can't think about it anymore, man. Amen. And then obviously it goes into the 1989 Easter Conference Finals. They're playing against the Detroit Pistons, and they start talking about the Jordan rules. I really liked it because they had a guy who came on and actually ex explained exactly what it is. It's like, listen, if he's on the baseline, we force him to the elbow. We don't want him going baseline. You know, no driving. If he's in the yes. air, he's doing nothing. Uh, you know, no layups. And if he goes, if he does go baseline, you foul him. And one thing that I thought was interesting is how often people talk about late 80s, early 90s basketball and how physical it was. And I think that it's overplayed to a point because everybody says, 
forgive me, not everybody says, but the majority of people say that, oh, you know, Kobe, LeBron, the guys these days, you know, Booker, they couldn't survive back then. You know, it was a much yeah. more physical game. They couldn't, you know, and, and you go back and you see a lot of the highlights and, and they always show, you know, the guys punching and things of that nature. But in my opinion, I don't think it was that, that much more physical. I think that it was just you had certain teams who lacked talent so they made up with it by being more physical, if yeah. that makes sense. No, they had to do it, and you don't see that anymore. I think, like, the last team you ever see that with is <laughs> – I can't even think growing up watching a team, maybe the Spurs, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, the Spurs you know, got teams that will try to find team. a way to win. So yep. um, it's interesting to see this, too, because um, you said the Jordan rules. Yeah. But also, um, do you even see this – not even, without the fouls, just, like, taking the best player away – um, you don't see the triple teams anymore, really, anymore. I know the no. Suns have a hard time doing the double team, but, like, you don't see the triple team on the best player. And it seemed to work here. I know Jordan's still growing. The team's growing. They didn't get over the hump yet. But I just – it would be interesting to see that kind of play nowadays. I know a lot of players don't like to play hard the 48 minutes, but it seemed like the Pistons, that's the only chance they had to win is to play the 48 minutes that way. Or people or uh, players don't like playing hard on defense either. Yeah. I think one of the main reasons you don't see it anymore is due to how effective guys are now spreading the floor and shooting. If you were to collapse three guys onto a guy on the baseline, pass past three, and they're going to hit it 40% of the time now. Whereas back in the day, even if that was to occur, the guy wasn't taking the three, he was taking two, and there was a good chance he would miss yeah. that. So I feel like the game has evolved to the point where that doesn't happen. And another aspect that's evolved in the game is the friendships between players. You know, you go back and you look at the Bulls and they hated the Pistons and, and Chicago hated Detroit. And the fans to this day, like I still am not a Spurs fan. I'm still not a Lakers fan. I still can't stand those franchises for things that those teams have done to the Suns. I will never forgive and I will always have a disdain for. So that's, that hasn't changed. But back then, they really didn't have AAU. And they didn't have players coming up together. It's not like Jordan and Isaiah Thomas were playing on an AAU team when they were 16 together traveling the country. So now guys are a lot more friendly. They're, they're boys. They hang out outside of playing uh, basketball. Whereas back then, they just didn't. You know, Bill Lambeer wasn't going out and getting shots with Michael Jordan before the game. Jordan might have played golf with some different players that he was friends with. But for the most part, there was a true disdain player to player. And that's where, again, a lot of that physicality comes out. If guys nowadays didn't hang out and weren't boys and didn't have such an easy connection to each other, whether it be through AAU or social media, the competitive nature of a player would be heightened, I feel. And mm -hmm. that's, again, something that it's fun to go back and watch those days. Not because overall the NBA, I feel, is more physical, but there were certain physical uh, matchups that occurred. And it was fun to see that. Yeah, you could talk about that for the opposing team hanging out. doesn't happen. But also their own team. It's funny to hear yeah. about even when Rodman, like, messed up the game before, got thrown out. And all he does is he goes to Jordan's hotel room, which he never does. He yeah. never goes to Jordan's hotel room. They never hang out. I know yeah. Rodman is different. But you can tell that's just the way I feel like maybe the team was. Mm -hmm. And especially with Jordan being so great, maybe a lot of players didn't hang out with him. But just him going to get a cigar saying, I'm sorry, that's the way it was. But maybe that was just Rodman, but that got me to think. I'm like, maybe players back then didn't have the connection they have now, like a LeBron and Wade, you know, like where oh, they always are together. Without a, doubt. without a doubt. And Jordan was, 
such, and I feel like they're going to talk about this more as they go on in this series is more of the isolation of Michael Jordan's personal life because he was so great. You know, Dennis yeah. Rodman going out to a bar is going to create some buzz and you're going to get a couple cameras on it. But if Michael Jordan's with him, all of a sudden it's the biggest page or it's, it's the biggest story on the front page the next day. And it's just not, it's just not conducive to his modus operandi to be successful. If you know yeah. what I mean. Well, Jordan, he, he kept it secretive. Rodman didn't care. Just like yeah. playing in the NBA, he didn't care who he played for. Like he's going to play when he wants to play, but he'll play for the people that he respects. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, like you even saw, of course, Madonna dated Rodman. We all know that, but Madonna dated everybody that was yeah. out there partying. So it wasn't such a big deal. But also like you go into uh, later on in the episode, there's more look you get your first glimpse at more behind the scenes footage yeah i'm trying to like savor these because this is what i want to see but i mean it was pretty funny i mean i don't know who it was but it was talking about the sniff brothers like the jog sniffers of michael's security (laughs) guards yeah that was funny. i had to write that down and then you got the craig saver uh craig saver sorry craig sager giving dennis robin a 20 to pay for his fine i wonder how many times like that happened and i know right big huge joke um but then it goes into Pittman returning for the Bulls for the 35th game. And the Bulls by then have it pretty much well put together and are taking over the East. Yeah. I mean, Rodman steps up in after getting thrown out of a game, he, you know, understands that he needs to be accountable. He does go to Michael Jordan and he just asks for a cigar and that he doesn't say, I'm sorry. He doesn't do anything. He's like, yeah. Yo, Mike, can I get a stogie? And they both knew like in that moment, like, okay, he knows that he's good. And he was a straight arrow from there and on out. Pippen comes back. Rodman's no longer needed as Rob as uh, Robin to Michael's Batman. He can kind of hang back a little bit. And he's like, I need a vacation. I need a vacation. Yeah. So he goes to Vegas, <laughs> yeah. you know, and even Michael's like, listen, dude, don't let this dude go to Vegas. We ain't going to see him again. So he goes to Vegas uh, and just parties his ass off, has a good time. What's interesting is they show him like walking up with a, like a Miller light. He like drinks it. Then he hops on a motorcycle and drives away. I'm like, hey, yeah, drinking and driving, man. That's illegal. Wait, was that behind? Was that like after a game? No, that was while he was in Vegas. Oh, that was just in Vegas. Okay, because yeah, I didn't know if that was like him leaving to go to Vegas. <laughs> just not the dude out there at the motor, <laughs> his bike all the way there. You know, and then he's he's hanging out with Carmen Electra, who still yeah. just looks fantastic. Way yeah, to go, no, Carmen. Yeah, that plastic surgery, really great stuff. Um, yeah, man. But yeah, before that though, like Pippen comes back, so the whole thing is like the whole surgery. He waited to have it. But then the team struggles. But do you think the struggle – I know he was missing, but do you think the team struggles more just because they don't have the enthusiasm? Like, Rodman didn't have it. Like, no one really cared this season as much. It was, like, maybe half and half missing Pittman and the other half just like, you know what? Because they come back and they're 24 and 11 after going, like, 8 and 6. Yeah. So, I mean, it's – I'm not saying Pittman's not great, but I'm just saying to start the season, you don't really need him. I mean, the whole surgery thing may be overblown to where they could have missed him half the season and then have him back with the energy for the playoffs. So I feel like it kind of worked out better. I think it worked out for them, obviously. I mean, we know how the story ends. But I think Jordan, being the ultimate competitor, wants to win at all times. And they, as a team, had a hard time trying to win. I mean, go back and look at those scores. Do Do you see the scores as they're coming up? Yeah, those scores have the Bulls scoring like 83, 87. They're losing 102 to 93. I mean, this wasn't a team that was scoring a ton of points at all. And, and, you know, so Pippen's a big part of that. And then they learn how to kind of win. And then Pippen comes back. And still, even when Pippen comes back, this isn't a high scoring team. It's Jordan, it's Pippen, and then it's just play 
extremely tough and pesty defense. You got Jordan, who is a defensive player of the year. You got Pippen, who's a pest on defense. And then Rodman, who's a pest on defense. So I think having one less pest on defense with Pippen out hurt the team. And they had to learn how to win. And that involved Dennis Rodman being accountable on defense. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So uh, to your point, I think they could have, he could have probably stayed out a little bit longer and they still would have been fine, Mm -hmm. but he wanted to play, man. Yeah, I think so too. And and like you said, Jordan just wanted him there because all he wanted to do was win. It doesn't matter if this was regular season or not, or the playoffs, it's just all about winning. And it's something. And before we get to the second episode, I just, I really love how I feel like every NBA star is going to come out with the like enthusiasm to play like this team and play like Michael for about 10 games and then be like, yeah, you know what? I, I'm going to complain some more about playing in the NBA. You know what I mean? It's just <laughs> yep. like, they'll go back to it later on, but at first they're going to have that motivation to come back and play hard. So one last thing I have on the bulls and the Cavs. you know, then they go into the Detroit series. Where yes. is the, where's the LeBron rules or the Kobe rules? What do you mean? I mean, they well, had the Jordan rules. They figured out how to stop him. Yeah. I mean, why were there never LeBron rules or Kobe rules? Oh, well, <laughs> the thing is with Kobe, though, those shots he would make over like the double team or triple team, I mean, you couldn't. What were you supposed to do? Just kick him in the shin? Foul him. Foul him. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> just, just triple team him. and hug him. Uh, there's just ways you, you just can't stop these dudes. Um, I mean, even LeBron, when he's a rookie and he goes to shake Michael Jordan's hand, like you just see LeBron's like four or five inches taller, like just oh, yeah. a huge, massive man. So I don't know. Where are the rules? What kind of rules would you have to stop these guys? See, that's the fun question. It's like, okay, how do you stop LeBron? I think you just try to get him as far away from the basket as possible. I mean, yeah. he's so big. If he starts barreling down the lane, you're screwed. You yeah. know, he's so physical. The problem with Jordan, when the Jordan rules existed, was he wasn't as physical as he needed to be yet, so they could just pound him. Mm. So he, you know, they show him everyone just like pumping iron and like 80s gear and the old yeah. 80s weights and everything. And then they bulk up to get to that LeBron level. So, you know, there are no LeBron rules or Kobe rules because there were no teams who were trying to specifically take them out. Yeah. Whereas Jordan, they knew it's like, hey, if we take him out, they lose. And then yeah. that takes us into the next episode. They introduce Phil Jackson. He implements the triangle offense. And I liked it because they showed the aerial view of how the triangle offense kind of Oh, worked. dude, that was the best part of and everything. It was. I, I love that. that. It's because a lot of people don't know what the triangle offense is, but it just shows you, like, you think it's on one side, but no, it evolves around the whole half court. Just, yes, like, it's back up cutting. and down the court. It, yeah, it, it's continual. And I didn't know that till tonight. I just thought it started out one end, and then you find out, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like I do. I, mean, I didn't study it ever. I never studied it either. And my understanding of it was it was primarily based around a center and passing the ball into the post. And then from there, just trying to maintain a triangle on one side because I knew that uh, Phil Jackson had a hard time trying to get Shaq to adopt it because it, yeah. Shaq wasn't the, the best big passing big man when he first started playing it once he got adept to it and understood it he really excelled as a a passing big man it was funny though when jordan's just like listen if i don't want bill cartwright to take the shot with five seconds left you know but i didn't want bill cartwright to have the ball with five seconds left that's not an equal opportunity offense that's fucking bullshit yeah but but what that shows is jordan's willingness to be coached let phil coach accept the philosophy rather than going against it 
And I go back and I, as I was watching that, I, I was thinking of LeBron and how many times he's had a coach ousted because that coach had a different philosophy from himself. And yeah. that's one thing that I find very different between LeBron and Michael is the fact that Michael's like, listen, is this going to help me win? Then I'm going to do it. And LeBron's like, listen, you need to conform to me. I'm not going to conform to you. Yeah. And even when he was in Miami, uh, LeBron, he had the hard, hardest time with Spolstra. He yep. almost, I remember the headlines and everything. I, I don't know if it's true or not, but just trying to get him ousted because they weren't, you know, playing the way he that. wanted to I play. I remember that. And he's, they still won two championships. And Spolster's still a great coach with Miami. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, you know, when you bring that up, it kind of hurts. It's like, ugh, it's just – that's that one thing. It's like when they have the doc 30, 40 years from now about LeBron and his career, that might be something that's brought up about him just not believing in the coaches, him just doing his own thing because he knows more. But in this case, I think, look, I think Jordan, though, and even like we were talking about the triple teaming and stuff, why don't we have a way to take out LeBron – I feel like at that time, Jordan didn't get over the hump. So I think that helps. I think that helps the other team to where he doesn't have that confidence Mm -hmm. to where, you know, he probably did, but he didn't know what it felt like to be on the other side. So I think having that helped because, you know, like even after this, no one ever tried to stop Jordan the same way, right? Like it was never the same. Well, because he had confidence in his teammates. Yeah. He knew that if he passed that ball out two passes exactly. later, he'd either get the ball back and he'd be in single coverage and he can dominate, or he could hit packs. You know, they were showing yeah. the game five of the 1991 NBA finals. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but yeah. you know, that's what won the game is in the fourth quarter. Jordan's just like, Oh, I'll just pass it to packs and he'll make all yeah. the shots. We win the game. That's what it's about. Right. It's Wide not open. You know, and that's, yeah. and the players are looking around like they saw a UFO, like fly over their <laughs> yeah. heads. Like, where, where's that ball going? <laughs> Another interesting part about that is it took us some adjustment, you know, that first season for him. Cause he was telling Phil, he's like, you know, Phil's like, there's no I in team. And Jordan's like, but there's an I in win. This is no I in team. There's an I in win. Which I yes. thought was funny. But again, you know, he, he lets him coach him. They come together. They make it all the way to the 1990 Eastern conference finals. And then game seven is the pip and migraine game. And I'll never forget that one as a kid either. I cried. I remember crying like a freaking baby. I think I was seven. And yeah. I, was just, I was just so upset because it was such a great series to watch back and forth. Jordan's playing well. And then I remember as a kid, you don't really understand kind of what's going on. It's not like, Oh, Pippen has a migraine. He's out. I just remember like Pippen being on the sideline and not finishing the game. And yeah. I didn't really understand why I'm like, why is he quitting on us? Why is he quitting on us? Oh my gosh. You know? Yeah. And like, so I cried when that happened, you know, that's, but dude, okay. So migraines we're we're in my city now. This is the thing. Yes, yes. It's like when you, ha- your when you have a migraine and you're sitting there, it's like you let everyone down. They're like, what is wrong with you? Like you just have a headache, just, you know, perform it the way you were performing 20 minutes ago before you got a migraine. But in this case, Scotty woke up with one. He had the dizziness, he had the nausea and he had the headache. And that's the actual migraine. Like I get, you get dizzy, yeah. you can't see, you can't function for sometimes 12 to 24 hours. 12, yeah. So usually right now, like the, when I get older, like they're not as bad, but I'm assuming he never really gets them and he got one and didn't know what to expect. And they are the worst. And I felt really, really bad for him because I'm on his side for this one. Oh, yeah. This is, where, this is where I put LeBron over um, Jordan, dude, just because Jordan didn't understand what a migraine was. I'm just joking. But like, <laughs> I'm like, hold on. Yeah. He's, it's, he's like, he can't help it. He's got a migraine. Yeah, I know. So <laughs> that's that's the outside the outside world. When they see you have a migraine, they don't understand until they actually get one. So that does suck for both sides because you're just like, you have a headache. 
why can't you play? And it's just more than a headache. It'll take you out of life completely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's your wheelhouse, man. Unfortunately you get those, uh, you've had more migraines in the past year than I've had my entire life. Yeah. You know, I do so get them, it's but tough, so. man. It's tough. Yeah. Is there anything that leads up to that? Is it like you did? Yeah. Like, is oh, it altitude change? Well, I'm just, yeah. Is it like altitude change or is oh, dude, it? There's so much. It's like, basically like, you can't even live any, anything. But is yeah. there anything you find consistently that causes them? Like yeah, altitude that? change, altitude okay. change and weather changes. Interesting. Definitely. Yeah, Interesting. definitely. I can be healthy as a fiddle, like not have anything. Fiddles are pretty healthy, but like, I just, <laughs> <laughs> I'll still get them when the weather changes usually. But uh, yeah, so, I mean, it probably was a random thing. I feel like with Scotty Pippen. That just sucks though. Game seven, Easter conference finals. That would be chance. my luck. Game I know, seven, right? I get a freaking migraine. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have anything leading up to the 1990-91 season? So yeah, the 90s play. So that ends terribly for Jordan um and the bulls in the 1990s playoffs that was what i was saying earlier it's like they get defeated again for a stupid reason so you think like the suns are the only teams that has bad luck but they're not it's just like teams have bad luck but they get over the hump and that's something the suns can never do you know what i mean it's like well, finally the bulls do the next season there's what 31 teams a year that have bad luck right yeah it's just that the suns have it every year exactly man they do but i feel like the bulls always did too there was always something like there's always mm -hmm. just something that gets because you don't know what it's like to get on the other side until you're there to just keep fighting and i hate to sound like jason garrett but you just got to keep fighting dude and that's what the bulls did <laughs> well and jordan at that time is looked at as the guy who is a phenomenal athlete he can score the most points in the league but he can't win yeah you know and he can't win that's the big one and he can't make his teammates better it's like devin booker but without the winning but where's he at though now? Like after the series, they're back in the workroom. They're back in the workout room. They're just mm -hmm. getting ready for the next season as soon as possible. No vacations, I guess. They just get back in there That's and awesome. get built. And just it's a hard thing to do, I feel like, for anybody. So to make it that much more special when they win the next year. And then you go into the 91 Eastern Conference Finals against the Pistons and they end up sweeping them. Yep, beating the shit out of him. And I think it was interesting kind of leading into that how Jordan was talking to Horace Grant because Horace would always whine. He'd be bitching and moaning. Oh, he'd, yeah. he'd, either, he'd either push him or he'd whine. And he's like, listen, don't whine. Don't let them see you whine because if you do, they win. And yes. I think that's such a great mentality. And you see that in the Eastern Conference Finals where in game four, the Pistons have a fork in them. They're done. And Dennis Rodman does that push, shove yes. on, uh, on Scottie Pippen. And he doesn't whine and he just sits there. He gets up and, and goes out down, hits the free throws and, you know, kind of, and they say like, that's the best way to beat them right there. And I yeah. honestly think when that happened, that might've been the first time I ever cussed in my life. When yeah. I remember watching that as a kid, I think I said the S word. And I remember, oh, like, man. I was like, shit, oh, looking around, <laughs> like, you know, that's how you uh, sounded as a kid too. Same yeah. Voice. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> you know, but I was just, I couldn't believe that that happened because it was so blatant. And even as yeah. like an eight year old, I was like, what are you doing? That's Scotty. And, uh, but that was the way to beat them. And they did. And then uh, obviously some of the, my favorite part of both of these episodes was, and I knew it was coming, was seeing Isaiah Thomas talk about it and then having Jordan react to it. And, you know, Isaiah Thomas, if you recall, or if you've watched the doc, you, or if you know history, you knew that they just walked off. With 7.9 seconds yeah. left, they just walked off the court. And Isaiah Thomas is kind of saying, well, the, the Celtics did it to us back in 88, you know, when we were taking the mantle from them. So we were just kind of doing the same thing. And I love it because Horace Grant. Straight up bitches. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And Jordan's, yeah. and Jordan's like, listen. Talking about the walk. Well, I know it's all bullshit. 
whatever he says now, you know it wasn't his true actions then. You know, it's time enough to think about it. Or the reaction of the public that's kind of changed his perspective of it. <laughs> you can show me anything you want. There's no way you can convince me he wasn't an asshole. Yeah. And that was just like, it made me so happy because everybody always talked about it back then. And then I'm sure they'll get into it when they talk about the dream team. But the rumor is even with Chuck Daly, who was the coach of the dream team, who was Isaiah Thomas's coach in Detroit, Jordan pretty much said like, I'm not playing if Isaiah Thomas is on the team, he froze him out. So Ooh. I'm really interested to see in the next couple episodes, if they touch on that. And if Jordan actually says like, yeah, I froze that asshole out. Oh, wow. Like, I'm super yeah. excited to see that. But it was really nice seeing to see the Bulls' genuine reaction to yeah. the Pistons just walking off the court. Because the year prior, in game seven, after the migraine game, they interviewed Jordan right after. And he's like, hey, oh, we're, we're not the best. We want to be where they are. We just didn't get it done this year, so it's time to go back and do it. And what I a just, great interview, too. What a great interview by Jordan. Again, and they don't do that anymore now, do they? What, interview the loser right then yeah, and there? No. that never happens. I, no. I was, like, so surprised when I saw that. I'm like, why are they talking to him right now? No, they have but Rachel he held Nichols. it together. Hey, Rachel Nichols is over. Yeah, she's uh, with the winners. Yeah, she hangs out with the winners. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> but, I mean, again, another reason why this guy was always my role model growing up. He was just about winning, and but he was gracious about it. He wasn't an asshole. And I'm sure we'll definitely see he's an asshole behind the scenes, but he presented himself. If you're a kid growing up, Michael Jordan was a guy who you admired for the, his, his uh, tenacious attitude, his wanting and willingness to win, and the way that he handled himself. Yeah. And you couldn't ask for anything more, man. Even the next series, when they play the Lakers, uh, they end up winning it 4-1. to one, But even after like him hugging Magic, he even showed like Magic's respect for Jordan. Yes. It, it's kind of like, uh, I guess LeBron did it with KD. It was like, LeBron was like, okay, KD, you finally won. Here you go. Here's your respect. Even though yes. he won it in a different way. Like Jordan went through hell oh, yeah. to get to where he was. So just that respect yeah, in the KD, hallway. KD just joined the Warriors. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, I just, I love what Magic did there with Jordan. So that was a sign of respect. And just everyone knew in the league. They said it the whole doc. You know, Jordan was next. He was the next guy. Yep. Everyone knew. And it finally happened. Yep. And I mean, that 91 finals meant so much to me as a kid. It was against LA. I lived in LA. All my friends were Lakers fans. I couldn't stand magic. And now going back and seeing that moment right there, I actually yeah. like, maybe I was a little hard on magic as a young eight year old, but it was great. Seeing yeah, those but highlights. you don't need, that's what you don't know. Like you oh, watch yeah. this, but you don't know like the behind the scenes stuff. That's why I was like, when I was listening to Bill Simmons, he was talking about, well, doesn't everybody remember this stuff? I'm like, no, actually, like, we were younger, so, like, you don't remember the things that adults are doing when you're that young. Yeah, you just, was, see, you just see the game. Eight. Yeah, so. You know, that NBA Finals was ketchup versus mustard, you know, when it came yeah. to jer jersey <laughs> colors. That's yeah. one of the things I remember, you know. Yeah. You had Jordan Rock and the Jordan Sixes, which are some of my favorite Jordans. The bread Sixes looked so nice yeah. back then. And uh, I remember that the up and under move, where he's going towards, yeah. you know, a spectacular shot by Michael Jordan, where he's going to the hip, the rim. And do you know the reason why he brought it down and made that shot? AC Green? It was uh, Eldon Campbell was right there. Oh, yeah. So he thought he was going to get blocked, so that's what he did. I must have practiced that shot on my basketball hoop a million times in my life. Yeah. How many I times did you hit yourself on the top of the head from hitting it underneath the rim? Carry one. Zero. Absolutely zero. I don't think I got two inches off the ground every time I tried it, but it was just one of those unbelievably iconic shots that Michael Jordan made. Yeah. And it was just, and it was really cool to see Scotty doing full court traps 
on Magic Johnson, something you really don't see these days. You yeah. want to, uh, what, what basketball really was, and I feel still has the opportunity to be, is taking other teams out of their rhythm. Basketball is a rhythm game, so you have yes. to disrupt that rhythm. And you do it in these ways where you're doing full court traps and you're, you're doing double teams. We've talked about it on the podcast earlier this year when we were having weekly recaps and the Suns are having a hard time guarding guys. A great example, uh, Patty Mills, when the Spurs played against the Suns in Mexico City. Patty Mills was on fire in the fourth quarter and overtime, and the Suns never doubled him once. And then, like, it comes down to the final shot, and he's just one-on-one -on, -one on a guy and shoots it up. It's like there's enough time where you can do a double, and he's going to have to pass it, and that's going to take time off the clock. I just – I don't ever yeah. see full-court traps and doubles the way that – at least effective doubles the way that they used to do back there or back then. Yeah, I don't understand. Maybe it's just, like, the coaching the players don't – understand it like it's not coach it's not like okay all of a sudden we got to switch it up we got to switch it up to this to this to this to make sure this player like patty mills it's like instead of just wishing he would miss it you know what i mean yeah because like if if he passes it to somebody else and that guy makes it it's like okay well at least it wasn't patty mills the guy that's hot and scored 70 points like you got to have that guy pass the ball call the timeouts and stuff and i feel like you're right dude you don't see teams basically you know making sure the guy that's hot scoring 70 points mm -hmm. passing the ball to the other guy that's gonna even if he makes it, it's like oh, at least he didn't have patty mills score yeah and you know he scores 70 points in the game winner it's just like teams don't adjust to that they just they wish these offenses to miss shots like they're just wishing like okay like let's just hope that they miss it. that's the way defenses are now and i love to see like how other teams are trying to get the other players out of rhythm and there's just not a whole lot of effort nowadays yeah, and that's what it comes down to is effort. And you look again, we talked about it earlier in game five. You know, Jordan was the guy. Jordan was who the defense was keen in on, so he would pass out of it. You know, yeah. so at least, and, and as a Lakers fan, you got to be like, well, shit, at least it's Paxson shooting the shots. If he, you know, his percentages probably aren't as good as Jordan, and I'm, at least I'm not getting beat by the guy who's hot right now. So again, yeah. it's, kind of, it's kind of that double edged sword because I talked about it earlier. You know, double teams can, with the shooting percentages that, people put up now from downtown and the way that they space the floor. Maybe that's why we see less double teams, but I feel in crunch time situations, you want to take the ball out of the guy out of the hands of the guy who's confident and have him pass it to the guy who's not as confident. So yes. double him and have him, you know, put it in the Patty Mills is kind of a bad example. Cause it's like, I would probably want it in Patty Mills hands, but I don't want it on the play where it's designed for him, where he goes into that play going, Oh, I'm going to be the guy who's going to take this shot. Yeah. I want it to be, you know, it's like, you have, I don't even know who else is on the fucking Spurs right now. <laughs> Lamarcus Aldridge has the ball. You Some double him, guy. and he, yeah, the ugly Spurs. Lamarcus Aldridge has the ball. He gets doubled. He passes to Patty Mills, and now he's got the ball in his hands with like a that deer in the headlight look. Yeah, shooting that shot. That's what it's I disgusting, think. Disgusting, man. But that's what was different watching basketball back then, I guess. And then of course you see Jordan hugging the trophy. He's crying. I mean that right there. I think that was the first time I ever watched like a post game. Uh, show and watch the whole thing all the way through. Cause I remember sitting in my living room in uh, Sepulveda, California, watching that and just loving it every freaking yeah. second of it. Oh. And I love the category thing where he's like, I joined bird and magic in their category. Like I'm, yes. I'm there now. And that's cool. Cause you can think like other players probably have their other categories where they want to join um, whether it's players or feats or team feats, whatever. But um, you would think like, I just begin to think like who, 
who else has categories who they want to join with other players so that's always like an interesting thing to think of but jordan finally does it and it took a lot of hard work man oh yeah and he finally got over that hump so yeah and then they kind of preface uh the next uh couple episodes and it's now the all-star break and kraus is making comments about how this you know no matter what Jackson's gone next year, which I still think is such an asinine way to run a business and such an egotistical way to run a business saying, hey, we don't need this guy. I'm going to prove to you guys that I can do it without him. So he's gone no matter what. And how Phil Jackson and Michael Jordan had to go through that entire 97-98 season answering those questions every single time they were in a city, whether or not this was going to be the last time they were going to be in that city as a team. It's just like, why would you do that to your team? Even if you have put Phil Jackson on a clock, why would you make that public? What's the benefit of that? What did Phil Jackson do, though? Like, what did he he do to get the – Get the kick in the butt. He just didn't agree with Krause's philosophy on of what on on the team and how it should be ran. So was it had did it have to do something with Rodman leaving or just stuff like that, like things that actually helped the team? Like, I'm, yeah. I don't I don't understand what he did. What was so bad? There has to be something that Jackson did to really get under Krause's skin. I just I don't I haven't seen it yet. Unless I missed it, I just don't know what it is. Yeah, I don't know if there was one particular moment that led to it. I feel like it was a multitude of smaller moments that collectively made Kraus not respect Phil Jackson and vice versa. It's crazy. I just, I don't know. I can't think of one good reason to get rid of the guy, but I don't know because we're behind the scenes supposedly, but I feel like there's just so much more that we don't see, of course, from those two. So there has to be something else. You did get a good behind-the-scenes moment at the end, though. We yeah. had some power forward, and I still don't know who this guy's name is, and I love that team. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and he's just like, hey, tell me. You know, he's like, my mom and dad are going to see this. He's like, mom and dad, <laughs> yeah. he's an alcoholic. <laughs> you know? It's yeah. like, that is good. That's what we're going to get more of as the he's series just... progresses because they're going to really start to get closer to that 97-98 playoff run. And I that's what so. you'll really see a lot of that footage, I'm guessing. I'm ho- I hope so, dude. But it's, so far, it's good. Like, if I had to give it a rating, like – um, I would definitely get an A right now. I just want the A. Yes. I want the plus with the extra footage. So. Yes, I do too. I give it an A. I give it a, a 9 out of 10 so far. Yeah. Again, I have some emotional connection to it, so maybe that's why I do it. But even if you're somebody who's never watched Michael Jordan and know the stories, this is what makes it great. If you're somebody who's a 15-year-old kid or an 8-year-old kid and you don't know the Michael Jordan story and you're sitting down with your dad and your dad's like, earmuffs, you just said motherfucker. Yeah. You know, you got you to gotta learn about this <laughs> period of time in basketball with Michael Jordan and Horace Grant and John Paxson and B.J. Armstrong and all those early Bulls teams that had to go through the trenches, fight the wars that allowed them to come out ultimately victorious. And that is something special. You know, if LeBron's all you've ever seen, watching Jordan might change your mind on him just a little bit. Yeah, just a ton of different stories, too, with the players and how much they faced and how much, you know, people said they couldn't, even if it was individually or as a team, and they still just overcame it, no matter what, no matter what people were saying. So it'll teach you a lot about life, and it's something I feel like everyone should see, even if you're not a basketball fan. It just teaches you that, you know, not to be cheesy, but just to continue to do what you do consistently and never give up. And it's cheesy to say, but it's true. I mean, that's what got them over the hump. It's to never give up and just keep trying harder. That yeah. was cheesy. Sorry. No, it's 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 cheesy because it's true. You know, the whole yeah, story of Michael it Jordan, is. the Bulls, is perseverance and a commitment to winning at all costs. Well, 
all costs that are not illegal, unethical, or immoral, unless you're talking about Dennis Rodman in Vegas for those 48 hours. And I think uh, what Michael Jordan was, had to go wake him up and Carmen Lecter's in the bed. <laughs> yeah. He's you like, know. I'm not going to, he's like, I'm not going to tell you what I saw, who was in the bed, what was on the bed, what was around the bed, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> and then come back on time. We had to go get his ass out of bed. And I'm not going to say what's in his bed and where he was and blah, blah, blah. Imagine, he, come, he comes to wake him up, though. That's awesome. Imagine that. You're, like, partying in Vegas, and all of a sudden it's like, yeah. and it's Michael Jordan at the fucking door. He's like, like oh, we gotta go shit. Play. Yeah, and she like, didn't even know it was, like, during the regular season either. Yeah, she I was mean, oblivious to it. Well, what does Carmen Electra know, you know? I know. Well, she, I'm sure she knows a lot. <laughs> She's made it this far. Yeah, I guess. So that's it for our Suns Jam session, last dance discussion. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. You know, hope you're enjoying the series and taking in these live events as they're kind of occurring. It's the closest thing we've had to real sports is going back and watching Jordan get his ass kicked by the Detroit Pistons in the late 80s on a Sunday night. That's, I've never been more excited for something. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you know? So, uh, but again, thank you for tuning in and listening. Make sure you follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Suns Jam. You can email the show, session at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter at Darth Voida. Matthew Lissy. At Matthew Lissy. On Twitter. And make sure that you subscribe to the Bright Side of the Sun podcast network because you get the Suns Jam session as well as Fanning the Flames. Uh, Justin and Paul do a great job over there as well. So make sure you press that little subscribe button wherever you're listening. Thank you very much. And uh, maybe we can get this right out. On the very end. All right, Matthew, what time is it? I already forgot it. (laughs) It's game time. (laughs) Oh, it's game time. Is it that simple? It's that simple, man. Oh, my gosh. Let's try one more time. All right. You do it. (laughs) All right, ready? On on three. On three. One, two, three. What time is it? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, go home and love your family. All right. (laughs) Take care.